I'm David Marcus, host of Drinks with the Deal. And today our guest is Kathy Ruland, the global co-chair of the corporate group at DLA Piper. Kathy, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, David, thanks so much for the invitation. And it's really great to be with you here today. So we're going to talk about several things on today's podcast. First, a little bit about your background, starting your career as a CPA, and then spending a stint in-house at General Mills. The differences between running deal teams and groups internally at large companies like General Mills and at a law firm, your involvement as global co-chair in lateral hiring and then integrating those hires into the firm and how you balance firm management and your own practice. A little bit about the outlook for M&A in 2024. And finally, a little bit about what you do to decompress from the job. So with that, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Well, I think you noted it earlier. I started out my career as a CPA and really a great foundation for corporate practice. I worked with the big four right out of school. Uh, It was great training. I worked in audit and international tax, and, and it was really a great foundation for doing corporate work. So like many people, it was a great first job, and I learned a lot. It's interesting you look back on your career. And, you know, I started in accounting. People always said, well, either you love it or you hate it. And it was easy for me. So I'm a logical person. And so it was the path that I took early on. And it's really helped me today as a corporate lawyer, just having this strong financial foundation. So that's how I started. And so when you went back to law school, you you must have had a pretty good sense that you wanted a, a, a corporate practice after graduation. Yeah, David, it it's true. It was good to have a sense of where I was going. So I think given that background, I clearly wanted to be working in business, the corporate side of things. I've always been attracted to the business side. And so I started law school on my 30th birthday, which looking back was really a tremendous gift to be able to attend law school. And my accounting background and business background was really beneficial. I think having this clarity of focus helped me in law school. I had met a lot of people in my work in accounting in those early years, people who are now CFOs and general counsels of major corporations. So it was a terrific background, and it really did help me in law school sort of have a sense of direction of where I wanted to be. And ultimately, I just viewed law school and the people I was meeting in law school as another building block in terms of my career and the expertise and having the right credentials. You started practice at a law firm, and then as an associate, you moved in-house to General Mills. Talk about that role and how being an in-house lawyer, especially a company of that size, is different from being an outside counsel. And then what you took from that experience when you went back into law firm practice. Yeah, thank you, David. It's a great question. You know, I came out of law school, worked for a, a top firm in Minneapolis, very happy, great associate work and a great experience. But I had this opportunity to 
worked with General Mills in a really unique position. It was a transaction and tax council, but also had a global element to it as it was very focused on two of their largest joint ventures, one with Nestle and one with Pepsi. So these were global joint ventures with very big companies. And it was just a tremendous experience working at General Mills, a great company. I learned a lot about how companies work and internally we're doing transactions. I really learned a lot in terms of solving issues around the world, buying and selling companies. And I think one of the important takeaways here, as I look back, is that, you know, you really learn how to communicate well, right? When you're doing a deal, you have a lot of stakeholders, you have a lot of people to keep informed. And I think the communication skills that are very valuable today, I learned a lot during that period. So, you know, making sure that you're communicating with the C-suite and the treasury team and investor relations and tax and legal, of course, and there's just a lot of stakeholders. So that was really excellent experience in really some of the earlier days in my career. I was also there at the time when General Mills acquired Pillsbury. So this was the early 2000s. And uh, I was around, a, I remember a $10 billion deal. And that was in those days when $10 billion was really a, a big deal. And it still is today. Don't get me wrong, but it was really noteworthy in those days. Tremendous experience, again, being part of a really big transaction, having a leadership role. And again, just a terrific experience. Well, well, of course, when you're working at a company, you then have to live with that transaction. You have to work on integrating the two entities, which is very different than advising on that transaction lawyer or a banker, where essentially when the transaction closes, your job is done. Yeah, it's really true. It's uh, not necessarily on to the next transaction. I was very involved in the integration with General Mills and Pillsbury. And integrating these two very large, complex companies was really challenging. It was exciting for the company to be able to put these two companies together and be operating as one. And, you know, it's work that I do today, focusing on integration, not just the corporate legal side of the nuts and bolts of putting these two companies together, but really the challenges of having departments join together, of helping the company think through IP and some of these other business considerations that they need to think about now as a combined team. And that was terrific experience. You know, many companies today are making great acquisitions. They need to integrate these very quickly, of course. And that's where their synergies are going to come from. And they are already thinking about the integration issues before they're even doing the deal. So very much a part of the deal process is the integration planning. And that is a lot of fun. And then you can see how that deal is performing and how they're doing and the measures companies take in terms of having a successful transaction. And then just one more question on your experience at General Mills. You said you worked on two large, I guess, extended joint ventures. Those are, again, very different agreements than merger agreements because the joint venture 
has to be run. The document continues to have an effect, in some cases for years after it's signed. Whereas again, the idea in a public company merger is that the merger agreement job, the task of that document is done when the deal is closed. Yeah, it's, it's a great question. And you really do think about it differently because in a joint venture setting, you put this joint venture together, you have two or maybe more partners operating with a single business goal and you do live with it. So I think it's very interesting when you put the partners together, you've got teams of folks who are operating with the same goal in mind, but there are issues that come up every day. Some are easily solved. Some move the business forward. Every once in a while, you'll run into an issue that needs to be talked through, that needs to be worked through with joint venture partners. They can be very robust. They can be very delicate. And I think as I look at the joint venture experience and the joint ventures that we do today, a key is really the communication within the joint venture, the governance provisions, you know, outlining how committees may work together. These are global joint ventures. And as we know, the global world is full of uncertainty, surprises, some very unpleasant surprises. And you have to be able to really work with each other to help solve any issues that come up. That's one thing I really learned is, you know, if you have to keep pulling the agreement out of your desk drawer to see what the joint venture agreement says, you know, that's not great, right? The joint venture has to be set up for success and it has to be easy to administrate and there has to be, you know, provisions that help the parties think through these issues. So it's very different, as you say, David, from a merger agreement, but really the working together towards the common business goal is key. Talk about the difference between managing a team internally at a company and managing a group of lawyers on a project at a law firm. Yeah, it's very interesting. You know, my experience in-house has made me a better lawyer. There is just no question having that background. Working as a team internally, again, focus on communication, lots of similarities here, but the communication, making sure that the business team is always apprised of the issues, making the decisions with them. And externally, I would say as someone who leads teams and leads teams globally, certainly those communication skills are really important. You have a lot of moving parts, people all over the world, time zone considerations, very similar in terms of communications. I think the one thing as I think about that question is that as a law firm partner running transactions, you want to make sure, number one, you've got the exact right team in place. These deals are complex. You need the right lawyers doing the right part of the deal at the right level, right? The efficiency piece is really important. But the expertise is very important, especially when I think about regulatory, for example, or regulatory antitrust competition issues across the world. You're going to need experts in various countries on those issues. And so when I think about it externally inside the law firm, I think about the team, how we operate, and then, of course, the communications with our clients and to keep them apprised. No one likes a surprise. 
that's very similar to internal. No one likes a surprise. You need to keep the C-suite involved and make sure they're getting the right level of communication at the right time. So it takes a lot of effort and thinking and planning and paying attention to the details. I think that has been an important trait of mine and something that I think has helped me out. I like to know what's going on in all aspects of the transaction, working closely with the client so that we can have a smooth transaction. Compare your work managing a team on a deal and then managing a group within DLA. So in in my role, I am on the management team at DLA and part of the executive committee. And certainly it's it's a big job working as a team to manage the firm. Again, comes down to communication, to paying attention to what the market's telling us, paying attention to innovation, some of the many things that we think about in terms of management, right? And we work as a team. And that is very effective. We also know the firm well, right? So you need to know your team well. I was chair of the corporate group for a couple of years, 2021 and 2022. It was such a terrific time for me because, first of all, it was pretty wild in terms of the the deal environment. But I really got to know our corporate team across the U.S. and in my role now across the world. and. It is great to get to know the team that you're working with, the tremendous lawyers that we have, and the talent that we have, and how to bring opportunities to them. So I think one of the things as a manager of a law firm versus managing a specific deal, there are many similarities there. You're always looking to get to the right answer, to make good decisions, to get the right people involved to communicate well. Some of these are just core skills that are going to be very similar to any activity that you're working on. I really enjoy both. I really enjoy both. At DLA, our management team and executive team are full-time practitioners. Then our chair, Frank Ryan, who also is very involved in client work, we all have full-time practices. And I think that keeps us very in tune with the market, what's going on in the legal world. And I think that's an important part of being a good manager is also knowing the market, knowing the team, knowing the firm, what it can do, what we need to do. How do you balance those two roles of practitioner and manager? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's changed day to day. But, you know, for me, the way I have always been in my career is, you know, I don't draw bright lines between my client work, managing work, my life in general, colleagues and clients. It's really all part of everyday life. And so I think certainly our client work is of preeminent importance, making sure that we are serving our clients. And that is absolutely a priority. And as we manage the firm, we focus on what we need to focus on that particular day, you have a a group of extremely high performers. When you work with a group like that, there's always time. And we do take the time to think about the decisions we're making, the opportunities for the firm to be able to work together. It's a tremendous group. It gives me a lot of energy. And I think I don't really worry about so much time here, so much time there. 
it's all part of the career, my job. I view it all together. And I guess that's what I like. It's a lot of fun. Obviously, both in your role as global co-head of the corporate group and in your practice, you're a manager. The question is, at what point did you figure out you really enjoyed that role? Or was that something that you learned maybe even when you were working as a CPA very, very early in your career? It's a really interesting question, David. I didn't really seek out to be a manager. I really sought to be really good at what I did, whether it was in accounting, whether it was running a transaction in-house, then as a partner of a major global law firm, really just focusing on the work, focusing on our clients, really becoming the best lawyer and practitioner that I could be, and the best colleague and the best partner. That is something that's so important to me as part of everyday working. But I think also, as you get to a point in your career, management opportunities come to you. I'm not seeking out any specific role or title. I just know that it's a great honor and a privilege to be able to be in management, to be able to help guide the firm and guide the team and guide our lawyers. So that's something I didn't really know. Or, and I wasn't thinking about that. I was just trying to think about doing the best job that I could every day. And that is the truth. It's still something I think about every day, how to best serve our clients, how to be the best partner I can, how to be the best leader I can. And I think that these opportunities open up to you. The other thing I will say is you have to take a bit of a risk, right? Sometimes you're thinking, am I right for that position? Should I be, you know, focusing on X or should I focus on Y? Well, a lot of times you have to have a growth mindset. That is so important. You need to have a growth mindset. There's going to always be things that you can do and focus on and spend your time on. But if you think that this is an opportunity for me to really learn, to grow, to help others grow, I think that is the key. So I've always said, look, there's no particular path. And I went to law school as we started out early on at the age of 30. And it's okay to do things backwards or out of order or open yourself up to opportunities that you may not have thought about before. And I think that is something I have done. I would encourage others to think about that as well. There's not a predetermined path by any means. Talk about lateral hiring, how you approach that piece of your job, and then how you think about integrating, especially hires at the partner level, into the firm. Yeah, it's a great question. Hiring is such an important aspect for a law firm, and it's really important to DLA Piper. We're always looking for the best talent, and it's a competitive world out there. But we are looking for lawyers who have a growth mindset, who are collaborative, who are builders. DLA is an incredibly vibrant firm. And so we are looking at top-tier practices and making sure that we're serving our clients and that we have the right expertise. So I always say to the lateral candidates that I'm speaking with, first of all, 
enjoyed my time so much here at the firm. One of the things I think that really sets us apart is this collaborative environment. Also, a real energy within the firm is extremely exciting. So we have a great group of lawyers at DLA, always looking for the best talent, as I said. I think that in terms of integration, it really sets us apart in terms of integrating the lawyers coming in. We have an extensive process. It is not ad hoc. It's not like, oh, I need to introduce you to so-and-so and they'd be a great contact for you. Um, before a new lawyer arrives at the firm, we have a plan in place. We set up meetings for them with leaders of the firm, with practice leaders, sector leaders, other lawyers who have similar practices or client connections that would be terrific. And we have full-time lawyers, lawyers who now are working with our recruiting and, and, um, and integration that really make sure that our new lawyers have a fast start. So I always say it's so important to get off the ground and to have a fast start right out of the blocks. It's that energy and that momentum and that everybody wants, right? That everybody is looking for. So that's one of the most important parts of the integration process. You need to do it fast and you want it to be thoughtful and productive and making sure that this new lawyer, this new partner has the resources she or he needs at the firm. You want to make sure that you're plugging into the right place. We wrap a whole team around that new lawyer. I have a lot of fun. I really enjoy working with our laterals as they come in and looking for opportunities for them and connecting them with the right clients and the right partners. And I think that is a great process. I think we've been very successful with that, but we've been very intentional too. It's just not by happenstance. It's a lot of resources, a lot of intention behind that. Switching gears a little, what are you seeing in the deal market at the moment? And what are you expecting for the first six months of the year? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's great to think about this at the beginning of the year. You know, we're coming off of an uptick in the M&A world in the last fourth quarter of last year, which was terrific. Certainly, I'm excited to see where this year is going to take us. Certainly, there's still cautiousness out there and everyone is mindful of this macro environment that we have. We still have a very sensitive geopolitical environment. We have two major wars that are leading to instability in Eastern Europe and the Middle East. We still have high interest rates. And the regulatory environment, which I feel as a deal lawyer, but everyone has talked about as well, is still very challenging, very complex, new legislation, still very difficult regulatory environment. So those are some of, of course, the reasons why I think there's still a lot of cautiousness out there. But I also have to look at the fundamentals and some of the foundations that underpin a vibrant M&A market. And not to say that we're there, but we still have interest rates appear to have peaked. We're looking to see a downward trend as inflation becomes under control. 
This is a common theme globally. Companies have strong balance sheets and a lot of cash. And certainly boards of directors, I mean, companies are looking for growth and they're going to find it. It's a matter of getting the right deal and getting it through and and being successful. We still see it's still challenging out there in terms of valuation gaps between buyers and sellers. But I think there's been a certain settling, knowing that the market from a couple of years ago is not the market of today. You know, and one thing also I see quite a bit of, and it's because I have a joint venture background as well, but we see companies that are looking at divestitures as they're trying to look at their core portfolio and do they need to make a few divestments. Sometimes those divestments may not be an entire 100% divestment, may be in a joint venture. And certainly we've seen some of that in the past year. I do expect that to continue as companies are looking for innovative ways to perhaps bridge that valuation gap. Maybe they'll enter into a joint venture with an exit contemplated three, five years down the line. So I think that's interesting. And I do see that this momentum from last quarter bringing us here into this first part of 2024 is positive. And so I'm hopeful and cautious at the same time as we advise our clients, but certainly hopeful that there's opportunities out there. And then finally, Kathy, tell us a little bit about how you decompress from the job. Well. It's always important to decompress, but I have always been energized by my work. I really am. It's work I love to do. I love to be with my colleagues, clients, my family. It's all really part of everyday life, but it's still important to take time away and to clear your mind. And one of the things I love to do is I like to be able to see the sunrise in the morning. I'm an early riser. That's very helpful when you're doing (laughs) global transactions. But there is that start of every day, which is very peaceful. And I like to get outside and be able to see that sunrise, spend time outside, walk, exercise. I love to swim. So if I had a place where I can do that, that's a great way to start or end the day. And so that is generally how I look at it, but I have a good disposition. And I think that really the energy of the practice, what's coming up this year, it's really exciting. I'm very excited and I'm looking forward to this year. Kathy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, David. It was really a pleasure to speak with you and I enjoyed the opportunity to have our discussion. For Drinks with a Deal, I'm David Marcus.